to the COL Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 26 of the COO Roundtable. We have two more fantastic guests joining us today. Both happen to hold the exact title of Chief Operating Officer. Both firms are right around $3 billion of AUM, and both firms have three office locations. First up is Kelly Downs of Berman Capital Advisors, headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, with additional offices in Chicago and Austin, Texas. Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited to help spread the word on the importance of operational roles in this field. Awesome. That's what we're here for. And then joining Kelly is Matt Rand of Telemus Capital, which has two offices in Michigan and another in Chicago. And I don't want to take away from Matt's accomplishments. Not only is he the COO, but he was named a partner of the firm late last year. So congrats on that, Matt, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be on. I, I emailed Matt a little bit ago talking about how much I enjoy listening to it. So excited to be on. Cool. Well, thank you both for being here. Kelly, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Berman Capital Advisor? Sure, I'd love to. Berman Capital Advisors was founded in late 2010, so we just hit our 10-year anniversary, which was great to celebrate, even though we had to do it virtually. Now, at the end of the year, we just crossed over $3.2 billion in assets under management. For our team, we've got about 30 people on our team continuing to hire, so that number just continues to grow. Our clients uh, really range from entrepreneurs, community leaders, executives, the sort of target client that we work with really is one that allows us to be involved in many aspects of their financial life. So we want to be involved not only in investments, but also in estate tax risk decisions. Really, those relationships are ones that allow us to be really most impactful because we're involved in, in so many different aspects and can make more informed recommendations. Some clients don't want that, and that's okay too. So really, each relationship is unique. As a firm on the investment space, we focus a lot on alternative investments. And then in addition to the investments, the family office activities keep us busy. In terms of sort of the past 10 years, if we're looking back at the growth of the firm, most of our growth, which we're really proud of, has come through client referrals. We don't really do any traditional marketing campaigns, but keeping clients happy, asking for introductions and referrals has been a very natural way for our business to grow. I think that is the approach we continue, but, you know, aren't necessarily opposed to any other growth opportunities that may be inorganic as long as it's the, you know, the right decision for clients and the firm. I should mention that Justin Berman is our founder and CEO. He founded the firm after leaving Goldman Sachs and really wanted to build a business that was independent and wasn't tied to an investment platform and really could make decisions that were in the best interest of the client and not necessarily the, making money for the firm, right, by, by those investment decisions. So that led him to start the firm, and it's been a great um, 10 years, and we're looking forward to the future. That's great. You talked about the breadth of services. We're going to touch on that in a later question, but I'll, I'm going to throw it to Matt first. Telemus is part of the Focus Financial Network of firms. I actually have been in your offices. I don't remember it was 2013, 2014-ish, when I uh, when I was working at Focus, I've been in your office. I've met uh, Gary and Lyle several times over the years, so I know a bit of the Telemus story. But for the uh, for the listeners, Matt, why don't you walk us through the details of the firm? Yeah, Telemus is a family business for me. It was started by my dad and two uncles. They had spent my dad started his career at Merrill Lynch in I think about 1981. My mom's brother joined him in 1987. And then Lyle, who was married to my mom's sister, joined in 1991. And so they've been together 
almost 30 years now. Crazy to think about that. But Telemus was started in 2005, Valentine's Day, actually, with really the idea that they wanted to do good by the client and they didn't feel that they could do that at the, at the brokerage house. And they wanted to do things how they wanted, when they wanted, they didn't want to have people pick and choose things for them. And so that's how Telemus got started. We are currently, I believe when they got started, they were about 1.2 billion. We are a little over almost three and a half billion today. I have just under 50 employees and three offices. And we actually just went through a whole marketing rebrand. So in thinking about our ideal client, we've bucketed them into eight different, what we're calling client communities. Those are entrepreneurs, professionals, new investors, living in retirement, company executives, newly independent, wealthy family, and then of course the institutional investor. And historically we've grown both organically and inorganically. Right after we got started, we acquired a firm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where we have another office. And then... A little over three years ago, we acquired a shop in Chicago. And so that's been a path of 1.2 billion to the three and a half that we are today. I love the eight client communities. I, it's so funny because I'm a quote ops guy, so I shouldn't be talking about client segmentation as much as I've found myself talking about it recently, but you can't, I, we wrote an article about this too. You can't pick your org structure, your tech stack. You can't do any of that until you know who are we trying to serve. So I love that you've def you've narrowed it out to just, there's eight, and, and communities is a cool word too, eight client communities. I've, I've found myself talking with clients a lot more about that of, well, let's, before we go and pick all the, how we're building the firm, who are we building it for? What, what, <laughs> what, what is your, uh, and like I, I said to Kelly, we're going to talk about breadth of services here in a second, but I love that eight client communities. That's cool. And yeah, we, you know, we focus them on complexities, right? So each of those have their own independent complexity to it. So it's not, you know, and a lot of them have some sort of AUM range, but it's more, and as Kelly alluded to, what we can do for their financial life. So we talk about financial life a lot, being financial life managers. And so what we can do in each of those communities, financial life is how we try to give our value add to them. That's very cool. There must be something in the water. We actually went through a similar exercise this past year. <laughs> I think it, it really is important to kind of think about who you best service uh, and really going to focus on those types of relationships so you can be the most effective. So it's, it, again, something in the water. Yeah, that's cool. It, it's it's super important, and I, I'm hoping more and more firms are thinking about it. I, I you know, we get the 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 one call out of out of the blue. Hey, uh, PFI, which uh, which reporting provider is the best one? I'll just go buy that one. And I said, well, you know, they think I'm just trying to be a consultant and get some long, complicated engagement. It's just I need to know who you're serving before I can <laughs> uh, before I can answer that question. So I'm glad that that both of you have tackled that. That's great. So Kelly, let's talk about you personally. Just I always say this on the podcast, I, I lurk on LinkedIn. So I look at everybody's backgrounds, but you spent nine years at Fisher Investments before you joined Berman Capital Advisors. Over the past 10 years, you've had a number of different positions at the firm, which is always cool, including you were a wealth advisor. And I always find that fascinating for COOs. So give us a little background on your career. Sure. I've had a number of different sort of interesting roles over the past 20, I guess, years. Right, you are right. I did start uh, my career in California at Fisher Investments. Looking back on that, I feel very, very fortunate to have started my career at a firm like Fisher. They really pride themselves in building employees from within. Over that nine years that I spent at Fisher, I did you know everything from operations, client service, recruiting, management, trading, client reporting. And so I was able to spend time in so many different parts of the business that gave me such a unique perspective on 
not only you know their career paths that are available within the industry, but you know what I was good at. It pushed me to do things that maybe I wasn't ready for or didn't feel prepared for. You know, one of the things that I can remember is after being at the firm for maybe a year and a half, they said, Kelly, we'd like for you to manage this team. And I'm, you know, at that point, 23. Like, what do I know about management? You know, but they identify something in, you know, their employees and then, you know, push them to do things they felt like they were ready for and able to take on. So that, that really pushed me to, to learn more about the business and master certain parts that, um, you know, I wanted to spend more time in and, and figure out what I didn't like or what I, what I did like. I can remember one of my last roles there was managing the trading desk. And I had never worked in trading before, didn't know really anything about trading. And I walked in really intimidated, but it ended up being really one of the roles that I enjoyed the most if I was back on my career at Fisher, because, you know, I had to learn, I had to learn the job. I had to learn the team to gain their respect. Um, but I also had to, you know, kind of trust them to help me make decisions. So it was a great, not within a training program, but it certainly for me was a, a training ground that I, I'm super grateful for having um, at that stage in my career. After being there for about nine years, I was eager to move back closer to family. I had family in Atlanta, so Atlanta was a target. My uncle had a close friend who worked at Goldman Sachs and suggested that I apply. So I did six months later, uh, moved to Atlanta, started working there. My friend's uncle happened to be Justin Berman, our founder and CEO of the firm. He and I didn't really interact much at Goldman. We were on different teams, um, but he knew my background at Fisher. And so when he left, you know, a handful of months after I started, he started his firm and then a couple months later called and asked if I was interested in joining. I jumped at the chance to get back into an environment that was more entrepreneurial, really in one that I could kind of create my own path and, and not, you know, be restricted to a certain title or a role or part of the business. And really that's been the best decision. And that's the environment that I, I feel like I, I thrive in. Over the last 10 years, you're right, I have done almost every role at Berman at some point, except for research. I kind of leave that to the experts and the CFAs of the world. But really, you know, much like my time at, at Fisher, I think that the path throughout Berman has helped me see the business through a lot of different angles. It allows me to make better decisions, or at least I know, you know, what questions to ask or things to consider. I've always really liked working with clients. I think that, you know, if we don't have our clients, we don't have a business. So the focus on clients has been really important to me. And that really led me to the role of wealth advisor for a couple of years. Operations has really been where I felt most effective. And so I moved into the COO role in late 2018. But really that time as a wealth advisor helps me bridge the gap between you know, operations and advisors, I think that it's hard for, for both sides to understand each other and being able to speak from both, you know, parts of the business, it, it helps. I, I talk to operations about, we'll think about from a wealth advisor, what they have to do with a client as a result of this process or the situation and, and vice versa. So it's important for both parties to understand each other and work together to really make sure that it, it ends up being a positive client experience. So that's where I am today and, and happy to be um, in the role. And I really do like being that person that people come to for help and with questions. And so it's been an interesting career, but operations has sort of been my comfort zone for sure. 
It's so funny. I talk about lurking. So I saw, you know, well, t- almost 10 years at Fisher. You've been at, at Berman for almost 10 years. I, I don't, I, I probably shouldn't mention the only nine months at Goldman. Something weird happened. There. I don't want to bring that up. It was a call from Justin Berman was the weird thing. <laughs> it, no, no, I mean, Goldman was great. Goldman was great, you know, and, go, and firms like Goldman Sachs, I mean, you know, they're huge and they have so many smart people, so many resources. Personally, from an employee standpoint, you know, I just wanted to have more flexibility and I can remember back in the early days of Fisher, you know, being in the mailroom, and this was years ago, being in the mailroom, you know, stuffing envelopes for client statements. And those are some of the, the you know, kind of fond memories that I look back on and really just getting your hands dirty and yeah. um, into a firm that's still, still sort of building out process and, and structure. And, and that is really what I found in, in Berman. And, you know, 10 years in, we're still, we're still, we're still doing that really um, in certain parts of, of the business. But I like that kind of get your hands dirty be able to make decisions pretty easily. So nothing, nothing happened at Goldman. It was just a call from Justin. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, that's why I brought it up is it, this is why this is always my favorite question in interviewing people is when I was younger, I got so upset when people would say to me, oh, things happen for a reason. I'd say, ah, that, that, I just, that, you know, when, <laughs> but you, you cross paths with Justin at Goldman and then it led to a 10 year plus year continuing career now in the RIA space. It's just so funny how people's paths cross and zig and zag and you found the job at Goldman. Just you wanted to move back to Atlanta like it's just amazing to me how everybody's careers wind up where they are <laughs> yeah and I don't even I think Justin and I just had lunch and he's like well do you want to come work for me I'm like okay <laughs> it was yeah. like a very very sort of easy conversation but uh great decision certainly for me that's so cool so Matt I'm gonna move over to you so you've also with this is really rare uh, to have two COOs and both have been advisors uh at, at one point in their career so you've also been on the advisor side of the business before shifting into the COO role give us a little bit of your background yeah. So like I said, you know, family business for me, yeah. I'd been in and out of the office before I was, Palmas was even started. I, mean, I remember going into my dad's Merrill office when he had the Bloomberg stacked on top of each other and it was taller than I was. <laughs> and then I actually interned for them when they were at UBS, basically the year when I was a senior in high school, the year before Palmas was actually started. So I've been in and out my like I said, my whole life, I like to joke, I might be the oldest child, but I'm definitely not the favorite. The business is definitely the favorite. But yeah, so I started in September. My first week, my first day of work was September 2nd of 2008. And about two weeks later, Lehman went under. And I remember I'm a econ major sitting in the middle of the pit, just wondering what, I didn't really realize how bad things were. I remember my dad coming out and saying to me, he goes, I hope this will be the bottom of your career. Uh, and it was in my first two weeks of work. So and <laughs> so far it's been right. And obviously some hiccups here and there, but nothing quite as bad as that. And I started as an intern actually. So I was sitting in the pit. I was assisting our, what we called at the time, wealth analysts, helping doing proposals, re, like uh, asset allocation, rebalancing. And then from there, I became uh, what we called wealth analysts at the time myself and grew to be an advisor. And real shortly into it, I kind of realized I didn't want to be an advisor. Um, I just had more bigger picture things in mind and wanted to grow the business by making it, I like to joke, a machine and making the processes in place. And so over time, I've just acquired more things at the office as people have left. So eventually I took over the technology role as our director of technology moved into a different position. I took over marketing when our marketing person moved to, uh, in business development, our marketing person moved to Cleveland, back to Cleveland and then took over client experience and then eventually took over operations and became the COO, just kind of in that path. And over time, just kept getting more and more knowledge as I worked in those different roles. So 
I joke like the technology people will refer to what I would call an Ethernet cable as a Cat5 cable. And I remember like having a conversation <laughs> with these people about what Cat5 cable. I'm like Googling what this is. And they're talking about switches. And I, I mean, I'm, you know, this is a completely foreign language to me. But now I like to say I'm not fluent, but I'm at least conversational in a lot more languages within operation than I, than I previously was just by acquiring the different roles within the firm and then having to learn the stuff on the spot. Google and a lot of other things are amazing tools to quickly get your knowledge base up quickly. That's exactly right. So yeah. uh, we all know that 2020 was a wild year that required uh, all of us to scramble and institute new technology and new procedures at their firms just to keep things chugging along and allowing everybody to just keep servicing the clients. I'm going to go to Matt first on this on this question. Is there anything that you kind of scrambled to in implement this year that has actually worked out so well you think you'll continue into the future with, with that either whether it's a technology or a process or, or just a different way that your firm's doing business these days? Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure you just heard the little uh, do to do notification that popped up as I was speaking, which would be Slack, um, which has become our inner office email. Um, so we went work from home, I think it was about March 16th, as I was talking to Matt before we started. Our office at the time looked like it had been pillaged. We basically let everyone take their computers home have been slowly rebuilding the office, letting people keep their equipment. And so I was really thinking about how we were going to collaborate more efficiently now that everyone is not in the office. You can no longer really pop into someone's office if you have a question. And the 51-word email chains were getting very cumbersome very quickly. And so I was really thinking about how can we not have those conversations and not have to pick up the phone if you don't necessarily need to. You just need to get a quick answer. And so we put in Slack and Slack has been amazing. We rolled it out really slowly, just got a few people going uh, on it here and there. And as more people started to enjoy the experience, started telling other people at the office about it, we officially rolled it out as our inner office communication tool at the beginning of the year. And it's been amazing. We've started to build out channels, engagement, employee engagement. The, our new thing are creating corners of our office. We have an investment corner and that's basically ask our investment team anything. So instead of sending those emails to our uh, director of investments or our trader, and that information might be something that everyone would want to see, we've created like an investment corner where they can ask that question out in a public forum and our director of investments wherever can answer that investment question. And there's a whole you know string of history there, put our client experience notes in there. It's been a really great thing in terms of employee engagement and something that we are just continuing to build out as we continue on into this year. That's a, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a big one. I mean, we're only a whopping four people, and as soon as we started the work from home, the communication in the email channel was becoming cumbersome, and so we did the exact same thing. We switched over to Slack. But there's a, there's a lot of different tools that, that firms have gone to, but I think that's been very important this year is is getting internal communications into one area, whether it's instant messaging or whatever uh, Slack, or and then just using email for client communications. It's that that's been a huge one for for a lot of firms. We so we actually have an instant messaging tool and we basically we can't shut it down because it's integrated into our phone but it just the group chats don't save and the history is not there and you can't really search for things yeah uh, compared you know right compared to slack where everything is really neatly organized you can search for things you can put documents in there um yeah it's been a, it's like i said it's been a great addition to the office that's cool kelly what's something you guys implemented this year that you think you're going to continue to use into the future I think it, it all goes back to communication. So we are heavy users of Microsoft Teams, which you know we used to use. I guess it was 
Skype. And I think right in March, March, April-ish, they shut that product down and then moved to Teams. And so we got very familiar with Teams very, very quickly um, because we had to have a replacement for being able to pop up and say, hey, I have a question. We have a very open office. So there are no offices in our office. Everyone sits sort of out together. And that is to allow for that collaboration and that quick communication. So Teams has really been able to um, be a nice substitute for that. Um, Hopefully we'll get back to a, a point where we can have some face-to-face interactions. Again, we, we do really miss that collaboration, but you know, now um, if I have to call someone, I always do a video call. We've made some, you know, sort of mandates that if you're on a, a, a meeting, you need to have your video on so you can, you know, at least sort of simulate that in-person feeling. So Teams was really it for us from a communication standpoint. We actually had implemented something in 2019 um, that really helped us in this environment. So in 2019, early part of the year, we had a suggestion from an employee that we allow people to work from home. And I think that, you know, most people specifically in this industry, I feel like we're sometimes late to adopt things that maybe different industries are more easily or more accepting of. So initial, you know, gut was like, no, 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 we can't have anyone work from home. But we said, okay, let's think through this and see how we could make it work because one of our priorities is really keeping our team happy uh, and engaged and loyal and, you know, with us for the long haul. So how can we make this work? Can we make it work? So we really thought through how, if and how we might, we might be able to move forward with that suggestion. So we had a, a trial run where we uh, let it happen for a quarter before we said, does this work or doesn't? And we had a team of people that said, okay, from each different team within the organization, think about the things that you would need to modify to allow for a team member to be able to work from home. And so everyone put together this you know, plan we had some stipulations around it, like that, you know, you can't work from home on a Monday or Friday because those are really more meeting days. And there's some other things that you had to um, adhere to, but we were really pleasantly surprised that it, it worked. And with summer of 19, we made it official and it was one day a week. So it wasn't, you know, full-time or more than, more than one day, but really having done that when we had to work from home in March, it was pretty seamless. People had their setup, everyone had laptops. People had to get a little bit more comfortable because they were there you know, more than just that one day a week. But I'm really thankful that we had that suggestion because it made that, again, that transition pretty seamless. And, you know, we had everything set up to to still be able to connect with team members, but also clients. From a client side, we started a Berman Capital Network series of calls. And so we wanted to be in touch with our clients more. We wanted to provide calls and resources that were not just focused on investments, but rather more related topics, but also unrelated topics. So I think it was in the summer we had her, I think she was a therapist or she had a, her her presentation was really on, you know, wellness and mindfulness during, you know, the pandemic and how to sort of work through that personally. And that was our highest attended call that we had. And so those sort of investment related or ancillary sort of topics, but also just unrelated investment calls, I think those will be things that will continue because they really resonated with our, with our client base. And it's nice that they feel like we're trying to, you know, take care of the whole person and not just the investments out of, of their lives. We did very similar thing. And we actually, our next, we've been doing them as webinars, but our next webinar is with a infectious disease doctor to talk about the COVID vaccine. So we've actually, you know, been very similar to you, Kelly, and really we're trying to be a value add to the client any way that we can. So a lot of people had a lot of unanswered questions and we got a really, really good network. And so we just wanted to tap into that network best as we could to get information out to our clients, prospects, whoever's on our distribution list. 
and really be a, a resource for everyone whenever we can. Yeah, agreed. We're having a, uh, our investment call is next week. And the back half of that call is a epidemiologist uh, from Emory. It's going to talk about COVID, the new variant, the vaccine. I think that those are just really interesting topics for people and hoping that it, it pulls in people that may not be interested in you know, hearing an investment presentation for the for the full hour so they can get a little bit of two different topics that might interest them. So, you know, same thing with the PPP and CARES Act. We partnered with yeah. attorneys and CPA firms, and we actually try to do the marketing ourselves and have them give us lists so we can take all the information. <laughs> and they've been super, super successful. Um, and we found, you know, we've got a lot of new contacts and a lot of new interests from people that we probably wouldn't have had any connectivity to because of it. That's really smart. Those COVID talks are definitely going to be highly uh, attended. So that's a cool marketing idea for sure. So you both went and talked about communication. So it kind of leads right into this next question. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows I always love talking about culture and how the COO is so integral in impacting the culture of the firm. Matt, how other than Slack and, and the communication side of it, but what have you been able to do from a culture perspective during this work from home environment? How have you maintained the culture of the firm through this time? It was actually through a lot of other people who just wanted to connect with one another. They missed the office. And so we had a few employees take initiative and created like a daily coffee hour or coffee, not hour, but coffee, like 15, 20 minute check-in. It was a WebEx call that anyone could join. It was just a quick kind of break in the middle of the day. If you didn't have anything going to have some coffee and, and chat and every, you know, not, I wouldn't say everyone would join all the time, but you'd get basically everyone from a client service manager to someone in finance to one of the partners uh, in these calls and, and the call and the chats would really go anywhere. It'd be basically trying to recreate what would happen in like the lunch hour or if you ran it, like I said, he ran into somebody in the, in the coffee room. And then that went into a happy hour later in the day after that, after the work hour was over. So at like 5.30, we had a standing happy hour. It was at one point every day, which I think got a little unhealthy at some point, <laughs> but, but morphed into like a once a week thing. And, you know, same thing it was just a nice way to wind down the day. I think a lot of people in the middle of working from home and, you know, working from home uh, was having problems separating the end of the day. Um, you know, because you don't really go home anymore. I know for myself, I try to like change out of the clothes I'm wearing. So at least I have some sort of transition, but yeah, we were, we were having a happy hour and same thing, like a lot of great conversation, some work, some would be work, you know, funny work related stuff. Others would be very random about what was going on in the world at the time. And um, it just brought our offices a lot closer together, um, especially for the satellite offices, the people in Ann Arbor and Chicago. Um, where there's not as many employees as they are in the head, in our headquarters. And so, um, right, there was no office anymore. And so there was no barrier. So you would get the same uh, inter, you know, interaction with somebody that you ne not necessarily would uh, if you had been in the office with them. So I just think it, at the end of the day, it brought our other offices closer together because everyone was on the same playing field. Yeah, when this all happened, everyone freaked out. Rightfully so. Everyone said, "Oh my God, we're gonna we're gonna be so far apart. We're gonna be, you know, culturally speaking, we're we're all separating." Uh, and I, I hear story after story like that of in 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 roundabout ways, uh, some of us feel even closer to one another uh, because of this, and and having access to different people in the organization that we wouldn't have run into in the office, etc. So that's that's very cool. And we and I'll say we actually have done some fun fun other things too. Like we did for like our company holiday party virtual cooking class, and for the people that were it was from a local chef that we actually do a lot of our marketing events with. 
but he delivered food packages and we were sent out ingredients lists of people that were out of town. Uh, and again, like just an amazing night, something that we probably wouldn't have done uh, if it wasn't for this. So, and again, the feedback we received from everyone was, was over the top. Kelly, what have you been able to do from a, I was going to say culture building, but I guess culture maintaining standpoint during this time? Yeah, one of the things that Matt said uh, really resonated. I've, I've told people, and I've, I don't know where I heard this, but you know, we're not like working at home. We're like living at work now. And so right. it's really hard to you know separate those two worlds that are happening in one space. So it, you know, in terms of culture, we for a couple of years now have had a, a team building committee and it's just made up of uh, you know, a handful of people from different parts of the business who have volunteered to plan events for us. And in the past, we've had events at least once a quarter. Sometimes we'd have smaller events once a month. But those events, you know, would be things like you're going to a sporting event or you're doing a cooking class or laser tag or something, you know, obviously in person. And so we really tasked them with like figuring out how to continue to do those things in this environment. So definitely have done happy hours. We, back when we were in the office, we would do happy hour every Friday at three o'clock, um, which was fun and not everyone would participate, but it would just be a nice way to wind down the week. And so we, we've done some of those um, virtually. Uh, we've done uh, two separate gift exchanges. We actually had a team member probably in, may have been in May, you know, when that was really a time where we were all, I mean, people are still struggling now, but, but then it was like, oh gosh, you know, like how do I adjust to this change in life? Many schools were still closed. I think some still are, but this person basically said, how about we do some sort of gift exchange? It's almost like a, a secret, you know, or a white elephant gift exchange or something. Um, and so we did that and, you know, you drew names and uh, you were surprised to receive, uh, you know, a gift. And it was a really nice way for people to lift spirits uh, of their team members or their teammates, you know, even though we're not able to do it in person. So we did that. Uh, we did that for the holiday as well. For our new hires, we've done coffee chats. So continue to try to drive some of those those events, but just do it um, virtually. And again, you know, requiring camera on, even if you, you know, just worked out, we've got to be able to see your face <laughs> so we can feel like we're, you know, in person. We did a, a, a trivia virtually. We've, we've done a couple of those, which are, are pretty fun. 2020 was a really big year for us because we had our 10 year anniversary. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, we had these grand plans for an actual in-person event with our team, our clients. And we were so excited about throwing a big party to celebrate it. Obviously, we had to shift and, you know, find other ways to celebrate and connect with it, with the team. So we did some, a couple of videos, one that was actually client facing, but a couple that were internal just to, you know, sort of help celebrate it, but and not let it pass just because we couldn't do it in person. So I'm thankful that we had that committee that could focus on that. But I think a, a nice way to still maintain that culture. Culture has really been a big part of our firm and the team feels very well connected. And that was one of the biggest concerns we had coming into it was not only taking care of our clients, but making sure our team was was okay. Uh, we're actually in a couple of weeks hosting a little lunch and learn for our team focused on mindfulness. And so we've got a resource there coming in to, to teach us how to get through how uh, however long we have in this, in this pandemic. So. Yeah. That's great. So business-wise, I mean, we all, oh, the markets were so ugly in the very, in the very beginning of all this, but crazy enough that the markets really rallied and, and a lot of firms grew through all of this. A lot of RAs, you know, our industry specifically saw a lot of growth. So Kelly, what, what growth initiatives are you focused on in, in 2021? So in, in 2020, um, you know, we not only continue to grow our client base, but also our team. One of the things that I'm really proud of um, is that we hired five new employees and for a firm of, you know, 30 people, that's a pretty big wow. number of, of new hires. And, you know, really we were 
it felt impossible because we were started to, um, we were actually looking at the start of the summer and we kept thinking, well, when we can go back in the office to do these in-person interviews, then we'll be able to move forward with them. And there came a point when we just said, you know, we can't wait. We have to actually move forward with these plans. We have to figure out how to do it in a different way. And so I'm proud that we were able to really hire those five people and we had never met them face to face, which seemed, you know, again, seemed impossible, you know, and it made us shift our, our training program. We could no longer rely on, oh, you just, you're a new hire. You just go sit with so-and-so and that's how you train. So it forced us to put together, you know, more training, onboarding resources for those new hires because, you know, we had to. And so far, so good. Things have gone well. Um, and we're actually for 2021, those practices are going to continue and we are still hiring right now. I've got three positions that are posted right now. So we're actively interviewing for, we anticipate hiring probably six new team members uh, through the course of 2021. So those lessons that we learned last year uh, related to, to headcount growth um, will continue to be used well into this year. Although I hope at some point I can do an in-person interview again. Yes. Um, the growth of our client base, you know, that always um, is a focus. We, at the end of last year, or sort of the beginning of the end of the third quarter, we hired a person in Chicago to focus on business development efforts there. So previously we you know, Justin uh, Berman had been the primary source of, of new business in addition to our wealth advisors who, you know, get client referrals, but Justin was really leading the business development efforts with some help from our president, David Fisher. Um, and so it's nice to have a person that is sort of still, you know, sort of training and getting up to speed on the business before he goes out and, and starts to, to meet with people, hopefully when he, he can do that safely. Um, but it's nice to have someone else to focus on that and uh, diversify our efforts uh, when it comes to new business. Um, most of that's been done, you know, sort of via Zoom and over the phone uh, thus far mm -hmm. in the year. But hopefully soon enough, we'll be able to get back in front of people and clients and prospects. But so we're growing sort of in two different ways, headcount and, and client base. Yeah. And it's always chicken and egg. Do you, do you hire ahead of the clients or do you, you know, right. <laughs> wait for the clients? Uh, so. that is, that is, that's the, that's the vicious cycle, right? Yep. It's, it's the hardest thing to do is to, to time hires appropriately. I'd always yeah. love to hire early, but it seems like with the growth that we've, that we've seen, it's, it's kind of hard to keep up. Yep. Absolutely. So Matt, what growth oriented projects are you working on for 2021? We have a few, I mean, M&A obviously always something that we're mm -hmm. thinking about and really just making the firm as attractive as possible for people that would want to join us uh, we're having talks with. And that's, you know, there's a lot of different variables that go into that, whether that's building out more ancillary services and being able to do more for the client. So we started a family office division uh, in 2020. We started a corporate executive service branch. I'm sure Kelly's familiar with the ACO model, which is basically comes from that. And just, I will say like our ancillary business last year accounted for about 10% of our revenue. And the year before it was probably closer to four or five. Um, and so we are really building out these ancillary services to do A, do more for the client, but B, make it an attractive place for people to work and want to bring their business over because they can do more at Telemus than they can anywhere else. And then at the same time, we've got a lot of operation and uh, client experience things that we're trying to put in place. So we're completely revamping our onboarding process. We are completely revamping our website. We did our deliverables last year and just trying to get all of the office's best practices into one place. It's been a struggle, 
as we had acquired firms, they've just been used to doing what they've been doing. And so we're making a really, really big initiative to integrating the best practices from everyone into our firm, as I keep saying, to make it the most attractive place for people to come work. At the end of the day, keeping employees happy is, is what we care about. Yep. No, that's fantastic. We alluded to it earlier, the client stickiness, right? What can you, what can you do to make yourself indispensable to the client? And we all know that traditional asset management, I'll even call it stock picking, right? Uh, we, we all know that's been commoditized to a certain extent. It's tough to maintain our fee levels if we're only providing that basic asset allocation decisions for our clients. So I'm curious what your firms are doing to broaden the client relationship. Matt, I'll, I'll go to you first on that one. And you, you've, you've alluded to it a little bit already, but what else are you doing for that client stickiness? Yeah. So my, my dad likes to use the, the string theory. And he was at a conference, I think back in his Merrill days, and guy presenting threw out a string and someone caught it and says, that's your relationship. Uh, with your client when it's just investments or stock picking, you mm-hmm. yank the string away and because that's poor performance and there goes your client. And then he threw out, you know, six ropes out and he pulled that same investment rope away and said, this is what your relationship with the client is when you're doing tax planning, you're doing financial planning, you're helping out with estate planning and doing all these other services. And so that's kind of the model that we've built off of and continuing, as I've said, building out these solution sets for the client so that we can as Kelly and I both said earlier, uh, really be financial life managers for the client. And so right now we have a financial advisory offering, which is like a, you know, pretty much wealth advisory insurance that we partnered with someone with. So we can do both life and property and casualty. We have a virtual CFO services, corporate executive services. And so really not making our relationship fully on investments, but really trying to be that holistic financial life manager for the client to create uh, the stickiest relationship that we can. Great. And Kelly, I know you, you had talked about the family office services, but what broader services are, are you guys offering? Right. I think just like Matt said, you know, we want to look at the entire, you know, financial life, but we want to integrate ourselves into every decision. So to me, if a a client is talking to their advisor and and they say, Paul, I need to call my attorney and check up on this question on my trust or something, the advisor, in my opinion, should say, let me, let me reach out to them and get that answer for you. Or let me coordinate a call where we both talk about that. We want to be involved in those conversations because A, you know, it helps us understand um, what's going on outside of just the investments. But B, we want to take work off of the client's plate, right? We want the clients to have peace of mind, to go off and focus on the things that are important to, to them and help them understand and feel confident that the things that we're doing you know, on the financial side of things are taken care of and handled. So that would be everything from state planning. So working with attorneys, tax planning with their accountants, but even things like bookkeeping. So as much as we can do to, again, help take things off of their plate, the better and the stickier the, the relationship. The goal is really to, to make yourself essentially irreplaceable, right? Because you're, you're doing so much for them. You know, Justin always says that, you know, the one thing that we can control about these relationships is are the service we provide. And so that's why doing as much as we can really helps set us apart and make the client feel like they're getting the most value and the most out of the relationship. Yep. No, that's fantastic. I, I love the strings too, Matt. That That's a cool uh, analogy. <laughs> so last question for you both. 
we've discussed you both have been at your firms for over a decade. You both have had many different roles along the way. Ascending to the COO position isn't always easy. What advice can the two of you give to our listeners? We're in this industry, and I've talked about this a lot. We're in this industry that focuses so much on salespeople, so much on advisors. What have you both been able to do as operations professionals to advance your careers and stand out at your firms? Kelly, I'll, I'll go to you first on that one. Yeah, I think the first step is to realize that there is a career path in operations. I think a lot yeah. of people outside of the industry and or entering the industry think that that's the advisor track is really the only track. I think understanding that there is growth opportunities in operations, you can build a career um, sticking in operations, get more responsibility, um, et cetera. Um, I have always believed that really the way that you earn respect is by doing. And so there's no job that is too little for me. I continue even today to do things that if, you know, someone really asked you, why, Kelly, why are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. It, it just needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to do it. And that's, you know, simple office tasks, opening mail, whatever. Um, but I've never in my career been above doing anything because it wasn't quote unquote in my job description. Um, I think that you really do yourself a disservice if you think like that, um, because every opportunity, you know, that you have to do something is a way to learn, to gain experience, expertise, to gain respect, et cetera. So really, you know, as I mentioned within Berman, I've done virtually every job aside from research. Um, uh, and so I, I do feel like people feel, people think that I'm a person that they can go to for advice for um, help for um, even just to, you know, to share frustrations or excitement, um, but make yourself, um, you know, sort of involved in all parts of the business that you can get involved in and, and keep your, get your hands dirty. And um, I think that that helps me even today, stay fresh, be able to speak and lead and make decisions with really direct knowledge um, because I've, I've, I've been in those shoes, not, you know, 10 years ago, but, you know, maybe last week. I love the, the, the quote you had that you gain respect and trust by doing it's, it's exactly right. And that is that, that definitely has to be the COO mentality, just whatever needs to get done around here. Uh, I'll be the backstop and make sure it's getting done. That's right. That's great. Uh, so Matt, how have you navigated your career into, into the COO position? Um, like I said earlier, I, I really just started absorbing other operations at the the firm. And really, you know, my training was on the job, literally. Um, and I will just say, uh, I think Kelly's quote's amazing, um, that that's really how you earn respect is uh, being the one on the ground, being the change agent, being the voice um, for the back office, because without the back office, the advice, especially when you get to a size like Kelly and mine, um, the, back, the, the office can't function without the back office. Um, and it is so important to put effort, uh, time and, and energy in people uh, to grow to grow those practices. Um, so, but I will, I'll say just, I have taken on like a lot of different responsibilities uh, over time. I went and got my MBA focused on leadership and management to get my skill set up there. It was not something that I typically, uh, managing especially, was not something I was good at um, and have had to learn to become a manager over time. Um, I've actually done the, the Schwab Executive Leadership Program. Um, and so I just continue to try to learn uh, as much as I can. I'm, I'm still, I believe, really young in my career. 
Uh, and the more I can expose myself to people uh, and be a fly on the wall, and that's still learning uh, stuff on the custodial side, learning stuff on the finance side, um, the marketing. Um, I, I really believe that I'll never know everything, but uh, the more I can get to trying to know everything, uh, the more dangerous I'll be. Uh, my, my grandfather used to say, you know, try to be a jack of all trades, just don't need to be a master of any. I love it. That's great. Well, this has been a really great discussion. I want to thank both Matt and Kelly for your time and your insights today. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, that is a wrap on episode 26 and we will talk to everyone soon.